All right, well, let's jump into part four, the final part of Reclaim the Table. Um, how many of you guys have gotten a lot out of this series? You, is anybody growing, learning? Good, okay. Awesome. So many of you guys have taken the challenge, and you're posting pictures online and social media and kind of getting the word out. Um, and just to kind of recap real fast of what our challenge is, I've challenged you guys to three things. Uh, to pray over every single meal for this entire series, and we've got another week. Okay, even though today is the last part of the series, we've got a whole other week of the challenge. So we're going to pray over every meal. We're going to have at least four family meals together every single week. And, and we know that's a stretch for a lot, but um, it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge for a reason. Um, and then the last thing, and probably the most important, is in those family settings to have intentional and meaningful conversation, to, um, to, to get into real topics and real subjects and to have meaningful conversation, to put the phones down, uh, to, to get rid of distractions and eyeball to eyeball across the table, have conversation. Um, and I do, I love seeing what you guys are posting and seeing what's happening um, on social media and just in your homes, at your table, at your small group table, um, with your extended family over Thanksgiving. We had several of those posted. Uh, very, very cool. So thank you guys for getting involved and helping us out with that. Um, so this, part, this fourth part, before I kind of jump in, I wanted to, to show you a couple tables that I came across that I thought were pretty cool. This first one, um, this first one, I'm calling it the sky table. This is grass. Okay, and they're like floating in some sort of a balloon-looking thing. I don't know, but they're 150 feet above the ground. Is anybody with me that that is the most amazing table? I need to get me one of them, okay? Um, and I don't know what's happening, but they're actually harnessed in and everything. But I thought that is probably one of the most creative tables I've ever seen. And if we had a fifth part of this series, it would be called the Sky Table. I don't know what it'd be about, but it would be about the sky table because that's amazing. Uh, the second thing I want to show you that's a really, really amazing image is this. Look at this table. Uh, about 14 years ago, a guy who was, um, who was a actually a chef, a model, and an artist. Crazy, random, all these things. And he had this idea of bringing um, not only the table to the farm, but then the farm back to the table. And he, he tours with this culinary event. And he brings in the local chefs, he brings in the local food, the local produce, and they actually set up on different farms and different plantations and different, where livestock and all this stuff all over the country, and they set these things up, and there are these massive events. Uh, but I just thought, man, how cool is that? You can't even see the end of it. Just hundreds of people sitting at one table, just amazing. And then the last one is this, and this is called the neighbor's table. Let me tell you a little bit about this table. Um, I actually came across this table um, several years ago, I was um, on a flight, and you know, you pick up the little in-air magazine and kind of thumb through it, and there was an article about this lady named Sarah. Uh, and she was an amazing lady who, back in back four or five years ago, uh, yeah, four or five years ago, she was just doing what so many of us do. She was going to work and doing life as she knows how, but she had just this conviction to, to create community and to get people around just life and do life together. And she's a believer and she wanted to be able to share faith better and all these kind of things. So she had this idea and this challenge. She challenged herself um, to, to have 500 people in a single year over to her, her house for dinner. So in order to accomplish that, she had her dad build her a 20, or it's, it's like 20-something foot long table that can seat about 22 people. And so this table is actually in her backyard, underneath a gorgeous oak tree. And for the entire year, she invited neighbors and strangers and friends and co-workers until by Thanksgiving, she had hit her goal of 500. 
This was back in 2012. Since then, she's done it every single year, and it's kind of beginning to catch on. It's a movement. She actually travels around and speaks now about the power of the table and the power of the neighbor's table and the way that she brings people together in a way that just no one else does. Absolutely amazing. Actually, she now not only travels and, and speaks, but um, her dad actually builds these tables and sells them now just for this very purpose. It's just kind of their, their way of bringing the power back to the table. Um, and I thought, man, what a beautiful, beautiful story. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of really what this weekend is all about. So to kick us off, I want to ask you this question. Is there room at your table? Is there room at your table? Is there room at your table for friends? For neighbors, for strangers, for coworkers, is there room at your table? Um, my grandfather, who passed away quite a few quite a few years ago, um, he had a knack for nicknames. Um, he just had a way, and you may know somebody like that that loves to give nicknames, loves to call people by nicknames. And, uh, and, and he just had this way about him. I mean, every single person he came in contact with had a nickname, whether it was positive or negative, whether he liked them or didn't like them, it really didn't matter. He gave people a nickname. And for whatever reason, I don't know, I don't know if you're like this, but I love nicknames. And maybe it's kind of one of those things that came from him and just there was so much fun in that. You know, I was, I was Trebo. That was my nickname, you know, from my grandpa, Trebo. My brother's name is Nicholas. He was Nickelodeon. Um, my sister is Melanie. She was Melodious. Um, and so but this is just the way that we grew up. We all had these nicknames. And it was just part of life. And I've kind of found myself doing a little bit of that. I love to give people nicknames. And, and I didn't even realize it until a couple years ago. And all of our kids, they have multiple nicknames, like tons of nicknames. Like for one, Bella, you know, we call her Bella Boo. Um, and Nora, she, she goes by No-No. Um, and it's not because she did anything wrong. It's just No-No just happened. It just works. Um, and then Max, who's 12 months old, we call him Maximus. Because I just believe he will kick you in the teeth if you look at him funny. He's just like, just going to get you. I and mean, he's Maximus. He's tough. Um, but I just, I just love nicknames. I think there's so much fun and joy. And it's even like a way of, of, of affection, right? And, and just, it's endearing. Um, as a matter of fact, Pastor Dale, who we all love, I, I like to call him Dalicious. I just, I think it just happened. It just kind of rolls off. He's just, he's, a, he's delicious, Dalicious. Um, so it just kind of happened like that, right? Um, but nicknames are just fun in that, and there's a passage in the Bible, quite a few in the, in the Gospels, where we see that Jesus actually had a nickname. And this was not, you know, again, this is not a formal name, this is not something that, they, that, that someone came and actually like applied to him, but the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they didn't like him much, and uh, they didn't like him at all, actually, and so they begin giving him a nickname. And, and we see both Matthew and Luke both write about the way that Jesus embraced this nickname, this nickname that they intended to hurt him, this nickname that they intended to be a slam. It, it was meant to be a jab. It was meant to be something that hurt. And yet Jesus, several times, we see that he embraced it, and the nickname was this. The Pharisees would call him friend of sinners, friend of sinners. And they would not even say his name at times. They would just say he's a friend of sinners. Why? Because he was. Jesus was. Everywhere that he went, he went after the worst of the worst. And this absolutely went against their culture. In their culture, I mean, it was very much, it was theology, whoever you ate with. I mean, it, was, it very much so spoke about how devout you were in your faith, about who you would mingle with and who you would sit with and who you would do life with. And they were so angry with Jesus because it talks about how much he ate with sinners. Jesus would literally eat with anyone. 
In Luke 15, 1, it says this. It says, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, Man, this man welcomes sinners, and he actually eats with them. He eats with them. He actually eats with anyone. There's one particular theologian that he says it this way. He says the reason why Jesus was killed and crucified was because of who he ate with. Because we always see Jesus is at a meal, or he's going to a meal, or he's leaving a meal. And most of the time, it's with someone that's unclean, somebody that's broken, somebody that's hurting, someone that's living a lifestyle that, that the Pharisees and the, relig the religious people did not approve of. He was always eating with people like that, and it was completely against their culture. As a matter of fact, if, if an unclean person, someone they deemed a sinner or unclean, ever even touched your plate, there were rituals that you had to go through to cleanse your plate. There were hoops that you had to jump through. So the fact that Jesus sat with anyone was a big, big deal. And Jesus broke through all of these rules, all of these things, so that he could sit with real people. The people that Jesus ate dinner with are people like me. He, he sits with people like me, like you. You know, like the you 10 years ago. Like, like before you got good and stuff. Like, like, like before you started coming to church and before you started, you know, trying to live a better life. Like he ate with you. He, he wanted to sit down with you no matter where you are. He, he wanted to sit down with you a, a couple of weeks ago when you made the worst decision of your life. And you felt like he was so far away from you, Jesus actually is saying, no, 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 I don't care where you are. I want to I eat with you. I want to spend time with you. I want to I sit at a meal and I want to spend time with you, eyeball to eyeball, across the table, building a relationship with you. Because Jesus made a point to eat with the marginalized and the, and the abused and the lonely and the broken. He made a point to do that because Jesus never drew lines of separation. He built longer tables. That's what he did. He, he welcomed more and more people to a table. And Jesus saw the table as a harvest table. He saw the table as an opportunity to bring people into him, to, to give people the chance to actually experience his grace and his love. Because at a table, he accepted people. He accepted people in their humanity, not, not because of a lifestyle, not because of a ritual, not because of a, a good deed, not because of, of, of whatever else. He accepted people because they were human beings. And Jesus came to this earth for human beings. Jesus came to this earth for anyone, me, you, the people that we don't like and the people that we do like. Jesus came to eat with us. He came to sit with us. He's, he's invited us all to come and sit at his table and eat with him because Jesus believes that the table is a place of harvest. So this weekend, I've called it the harvest table. It's a harvest table, and maybe yours is not 22 feet long where 22 people can sit at it, but I believe that there is room at your table, that your table could be a place of harvest, that your table could be a place where anyone is invited, that anyone feels welcome. And in that place, there's grace, and there's love, and there's mercy at your table. God intended it to be that way. The first point that I want to kind of mention or bring up is this, is that the meal begins with the guest list. Ever thought about that? The meal begins with the guest list, and I, I have a lot of allergies. My family has a lot of allergies. Um, so if anyone's ever going to invite us over for dinner, they ask something, right? They ask, hey, what can you guys eat? Right, because the guest list comes before the food. Like, if they've already invited me, then they know, well, he's crazy. He's got weird allergies, so we got to find out what to feed him. 
right? The guest list always comes first, and there's this parable that Jesus tells, and he's, he's actually sitting with Pharisees at a table over food, and they're pushing his buttons, and he's firing back, and then this one guy says the, the right thing that's the wrong thing, and Jesus launches into this parable, and it's a parable that we call the parable of the great banquet. It goes like this. This is Luke 14. It goes like this. It says, Jesus replied, He's firing back this parable. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, now listen, so he goes out, he invites all these people. They RSVP. This is the way the culture would work. Okay, they would RSVP. And then when the meal was ready, at the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to go tell those who had been invited, hey, it's ready. Come on. Okay, you've already told me you're coming, so come on. Okay. Um, But then they all like, begin to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go see it. Okay. Terrible excuse, right? Who buys property without seeing it, right? See, for me, there's like, there's this familiarity, familiarity that's kind of springing up right here, that that they've been invited, they've said yes, but then "Ah, I don't really want to go in the moment. And the next one says this, um, and then another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Who buys a car without test driving it? without kicking the wheels, right, without checking out. But these guys are just like, ah, you know what, something's come up. I really don't care that much. I really don't even really want to be there. Have you ever tried to come up with bad excuses? Like when you want to get out of something and you come up with terrible excuses, like I got to go have my toenail removed. I got some gangrene in it or something. You know, just some random excuse because like you're trying your best to get out of it. That's what these guys are doing. And then the last guy um, said this. He said, hey, I just got married, so I can't come. And the servant came back and reported to his master. Now listen, now this one may be okay. All right, because that mug's thinking about that honeymoon. <laughs> Am I right? Right? So maybe, maybe we let him slide on that one. Okay, so anyway, so he comes back. The servant comes back to the master. And the owner of the house became angry. The master became angry, and he ordered his servant, hey, go out quickly into the streets, the alleys of the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Bring in everybody. You could even read that spiritual blind, spiritual lame, those that are hurting. And then he goes and he does it. He goes out and he reaches out and he sends this invitation out broad and wide. And he begins bringing everyone in. And the servant comes back and he says, what you've ordered has been done. But there is still room. There's still room at the master's table. There's still room in his banquet. There's still room So then the master tells his servant, hey, go out even wider. Go out even further to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Jesus wants his table full. Jesus wants us to invite everyone to his table, to be a part of his table. So my question is, how wide is your guest list? How broad is your guest list? How how expanded is it beyond what you're comfortable with? Beyond the people that you love, that you know, that you get along with, that you got a chemistry and a rhythm and you know their life. And it's just easy. It's easy to stay in that little bubble. It's easy to stay right there in that little spot. But what Jesus is saying is, hey, get outside the familiar. The familiar, man, they can, they can pay you back. They can be in your life. They can, they can do good things for you. They can blow you off if they want to. There's a little bit to that, right? They're familiar with you. But Jesus says, no, go beyond that. Go and reach out to the people that they can't pay you back. They're lonely, they're hurting, they're broken, they're blind. Bring them in. Expand your guest list beyond your comfort, beyond what you're okay with, and invite other people into your life. 
Invite other people to be a part of your table. And that's the beginning of the harvest table. That's the beginning of this amazing movement of Jesus saying, man, I want to eat with anyone. I want to eat with anyone that's in your life. I want to eat with anyone that you come in contact with, that you cross paths with. That's who I want to eat with. So who should you invite to your table? Who are those people? I put together a little list. Who could you invite to your table? You can invite your neighbors. Now, I know your table may not be the neighbor's table, and you may not want to invite 500 people, um, but maybe you could start with 20 or 30 next year. That I'm just going to reach out to my neighbors, the people that I wave at, the people that I see in the street, the people that, you know, we, 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 we have um, garbage can conversations or mailbox conversations, right? What if I actually invited them over, colleagues from work? that I cross paths with, that I know a little bit, but I really don't know their life. I really don't know much about them. Um, but from time to time, I see that someone's hurting or someone's frustrated or someone's alone. Maybe I could reach out there. What about teachers and coaches that are already in your life? You know, through your kids or whatever, you're already, you're already sharing a few emails back and forth. You see them on the field. You see them at the school. I mean, what if you could just take it a step further and actually invite them to the table? I think during this Christmas season, there are so many people that don't see this season as happy and joyful as most of us do. There are people that are lonely and hurting during the season. What an amazing time to bring people to the table and let them experience family and joy and heart. What about your, your kids' friends that, that don't have a great home life, that are separated from their parents or disconnected or are always on the go because of multiple families and they're bouncing around back and forth? What if you could provide just some love and some support? My wife always tells stories about um, whenever she was growing up, every Sunday, her mom had Sunday lunch, and it was a massive spread, and all of their friends would come over, and they'd all sit at the table, and they would just have these constant meals together. They would reach out to people, and I just think, man, what if we could begin to do that? What if we could expand our guest list beyond what's comfortable? And begin inviting other people to our table so that our table could become a harvest table. The second thing is this, is to create space for grace at the table. It's one thing to expand the guest list. It's one thing to get more people to your table. But somehow you've got to make sure that Jesus is there. We have to make sure that Jesus is at the table with us, that there is a space for grace for Jesus himself to show up at the table. And there's a story in Luke, uh, again, Jesus is at a table that just demonstrates this so beautifully. And let me kind of paint the scene for just a moment. These men, and again, Jesus is sitting with Pharisees. And it was like it, at this table, and in this day, their tables were very low. They were like lounging tables. They would kind of lay at the table, and their feet would be back behind them. Okay, but this, this particular meal was kind of a big deal because this is like, you know, Joe Pharisee and Jesus, you know, it's kind of like heavyweight champions are sitting down over this meal and there's a lot of drama expected. So this table would have been a large room with a table in the center, everyone lounging at it. And all around the room, there would have been a gallery of people watching, just spectators. This would have been like ancient version of reality TV. Okay, everybody's just watching, going, what's going to happen? Who's going to say what? Who's going to pull her weave out? What's going to happen? Right? That caught you off guard, didn't it? Right? Like, what's going to happen? Like, that's what they're sitting there going, like, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And everybody's around, and this lady sneaks in. She sneaks in, and she stands among the gallery. And here's why I know she, she snuck in, because she's a prostitute. 
And there's no way that the Pharisees would have ever allowed her into their home, especially into a place like where their meals are. They would have never allowed it, so she snuck in. She finds herself along the wall with all these people, and this is what happens. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life, she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came. And there she was with an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood behind him, back where his feet were, not underneath the table, but back where his feet were. And she began weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. She was crying so much that she actually washed his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, and she kissed them, and she poured perfume on him. Now listen, in this setting, this would have been appalling. This would have been absolutely the worst thing that this woman could have ever done. The Pharisees would have been so angry, so mad, that she's come in and defiled and contaminated this sacred moment. But not Jesus. Jesus responds completely different because Jesus can take a messy meal, a messy, dirty, just, you know, whenever, whenever we're inviting people into our life that, that are not as great as we are. You know, we don't, they don't have it together like all of us do, right? And they come in with baggage and hurts and pains and problems. Things can get messy. But when grace is at the table, grace always wins. Grace always wins. Verse 39 says, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, his name was Simon. Simon the Pharisee says, if this man were a prophet, if he really were who he says he, he was, then he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. He would make her stop. He would kick her out. He would be done with her completely. But Jesus isn't because Jesus eats with anyone. And in that moment, grace showed up, and God, Jesus forgave her. And in that day, they would think that she would have to go to the temple to be restored and forgave. But right at the table, when grace showed up, she found forgiveness. She found hope. She found love and acceptance. And I believe that at our tables, whenever we open them up to be harvest tables, whenever we open them up to be a place where, where, where grace shows up, then lives can be fully changed in your home at your table, at a table at Starbucks, at a table at a restaurant, at a table anywhere, life change can happen when grace shows up. Because whenever we're dealing, whenever, whenever the guest list is broken and hurting people, dinner can get messy. But when grace is at the table, grace always wins. Grace always wins. Whenever we invite Jesus to be a part of this, whenever we realize this is not just a, a, a goodwill invite, this is not just, oh, I feel sorry for somebody, hey, come on over here and have a warm meal. No, there is intention, there is purpose behind this, that this is a harvest table. And I believe that Jesus Christ wants to eat with this person and he's going to use me to do it. He's going to use me to bring purpose to a messy meal because grace always wins. Grace always wins. And I love that Simon the Pharisee, he was thinking, man, if he only knew who was touching him, he would just stop her. He'd be done. He'd kick her out. And I just believe that Jesus was thinking, man, if Simon the Pharisee only knew, he would get in on this grace. He would get in on this experience of grace. So many people have just this idea of judgment and condemnation and the church is the only place that can get them saved. No, I believe that you can do ministry in your home, that we can reclaim the table for ministry and community and outreach right in your home, right at a restaurant, wherever you find yourself. Those tables can be places, can be reclaimed, and community and outreach.
couple practical things. How can I create space for grace at the table? Pray before every meal. Simple. Not a weird prayer, just a normal prayer. Uh, listen, don't trim away the truth, man. When people come into your life and you want grace to be present, Jesus is 100% grace and 100% truth. He's all grace and he's all truth. So he can sit at a table with that woman and her life can be changed, not just because of the grace, but because of the truth. So when you sit with people, you, you are who you are. Man, God's called you. He set you apart. He's given you a, a new set of values and a new set, a, a new way to live. Man, be you. Um, just don't be weird. Number, number three there, don't be weird. And it's awkwardly silent because some of y'all are weird. And you know it, and it offended you when I said, don't be weird. But listen, some of you guys, you could never sit down with somebody that's in a state like this, that's not in your circle, because you're just weird. You're all up in the clouds, and you're all up super spiritual, and y'all don't want to do this. No, get down on earth where real people are, because Jesus died for real people, not cloud people. Jesus Christ died for real people that are on this earth, that are in the dirt, that are in the dust, that are in the grime, that are hurting and in pain. So get out the clouds, get out of your super spiritual world, and if you're offended, then it's because you're weird. Don't be weird. Okay, man, for some reason, I went off a lot more on that one. So there's some weird people in this room. I don't know. Okay, this next one, listen, bring the light, not the fight. Man, listen, grace doesn't bring a fight to the table. Grace brings hope to the table. Grace brings love and acceptance to the table. When grace shows up, everyone's accepted. Why? Because of their humanity. Not because of their decisions or their lifestyle or their opinions or who they voted for or what team they root for. Right? Grace, when it shows up, they're accepted because they're human beings. Because of their humanity. Simple as that. Bring the light, not the fight. And then simply share stories. Share stories with purpose. Share stories of your family, of your church, of trips that you've taken, what's happened at Merry Christmas Gulf Coast. Just share stories of life because, listen, most people in the world today, they don't know what a healthy family looks like. They don't even know that a happy marriage can exist. They don't even know that hope can be in a family. They don't even know that people can actually like each other and live under the same roof at the same time. They don't get it. Let them see that. Let them see the kind of family that you are, the kind of family that you're becoming, the things that you're learning. Just be you, be genuine, be authentic, be you in the moment. Invite grace to be at the table. And when grace is at the table, people will feel accepted. A month or so ago, I read an article in, in the New York Times. It was very, very interesting. It was about a lady named Kathy and a guy named David. And they, um, they were this amazing family in Washington, D.C. They have a son by the name of Santiago. And Santiago, he goes to a high school. I think he was in ninth grade at the time. And he had a friend that continued to come to school hungry. And, um, and the more he got to know this kid, he realized, man, this kid, he, he bounces around from shelter to shelter. He's homeless sometimes. He's in juvie sometimes. He's just all over the place. But he very rarely, or regularly, rather, uh, comes to school hungry. And so Santiago said, hey, listen, my parents would love to have you over. Just come over. Let's have, let's have food sometime. Let's have dinner sometime. So on a Thursday night, this kid showed up for spicy chicken and black rice. And the very next week, he was so moved, he felt so loved and accepted that, um, that he began to invite other friends that had experienced the exact same thing. 
And so friend, a friend, a friend, a friend began showing up on Thursday night for spicy chicken and black rice. And this family, Kathy and David, they, they all of a sudden woke up one day and realized they have 25 people showing up every Thursday night, teenagers from a high school. Kids that are abused and abandoned and left and homeless and hungry. All of a sudden they have all these kids just showing up week after week. They didn't know anything about life. They didn't know anything about family. And slowly they started helping out with the dishes. They started learning their manners. They started contributing to the meal. They started cutting the vegetables. They started just being a part of this family, and they would crash on the couch. They'd stay overnight. They'd take out the garbage in the morning. All of a sudden, they were a part of this family. And now, to this day, David and Kathy, they started a nonprofit. And so they're beginning to raise money, and they've already put four of these kids in college. Kids that would have never had a chance of going to college. They didn't even know how to fill out the application. They didn't even know how to take a next step. But because two parents just saw an opportunity, the power of the dinner table, the, t- the power of that moment, that setting, ministry took place. Lives were changed. These kids are growing up. Their gifts are coming to light. All because of a ninth grade kid that just said, hey, won't you come over for dinner sometime? There is so much power in our tables. There's so much power in our families. That whenever we expand our guest list and we bring in the hurting, the lonely, whenever we bring in people that no one else may want to bring in, And we begin loving them the way that God loves them. Whenever grace is at our table, then there is a harvest that takes place. There's life change that happens. There's life change that happens. We each have 21 meals a week. Some of you guys more because you're on the seven meal a day plan and you do 49 meals a week. I don't know. But most of us, we have 21 meals a week. I wonder how many of those could we commit to being harvest table meals? Is it one? Is it one? Is it one every other week? Is it two a week? I, how, how ambitious are you that we could say, maybe it's lunch with a coworker, maybe it's lunch with another soccer mom, maybe it's, I don't, I don't know, but it, it doesn't always have to be around your dining room table, but any table can become a harvest table. That when you expand your guest list and you invite somebody into your life and and grace shows up at the table, life change can happen. And then the third point and the final point is this. Table first, then temple. See, what Jesus did is he, he blew their minds that they could actually be forgiven at the table before they ever even stepped foot at the temple. But think about the potential of the table and then moving someone into the church, moving someone into this family, moving someone into this place. We've heard of farm to table. How about table to church, table to temple, right? Where we move people, where it's, we know what we're doing, man. We're trying to reap a harvest. We're trying to see the lost souls in our world saved. Every single human being that we lock eyes with is somebody that Jesus died for. And we understand that. And we say, man, my table My table in my home, my table that I sit at every morning at Starbucks, my table wherever I am is going to be a harvest table. And I'm going to see people come to know Jesus Christ, and I'm going to see people walk in their calling, walk in their destiny and who God's called them to be. What if we could intentionally move people from our table at home to grace, understanding Jesus, understanding new life? Maybe they're not all there. Because I believe that you've got to belong before you can believe. And the table is that. The table is a place of belonging before someone ever believes. And as a church, we're okay with that. We're okay with people coming in here and just belonging for a long time before they ever say, hey, I'm ready to believe. 
It happens all the time. Why? Because we're okay with it. Why? Because we love people. A couple years ago, I, I, I was at a conference in Texas. And I heard a pastor talk about the church in a way I'd never thought of before. But he actually talked about the church as a table. And when I heard it, it's been years and years ago, and I still remember so much about it because it was so visual and it was so perfect in its presentation just to think that the church is a table where every single week we serve fresh the bread of life. John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And every single week, we as a family, just like the table is important for your family, the table is important for our family. As a church family, we come and we gather around the table and we enjoy a big, fat yeast roll of Jesus. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody remember them big, fat yeast rolls? Okay, remember how unhealthy they were? This one is healthy. Okay, the bread of life is healthy. It's good carbs. It's the right kind of carbs. Okay, and every single week, man, this table, our goal is to serve the fresh bread of life. My favorite restaurants to go into, my favorite restaurants are the ones that are not, um, they're not, you know, there's nothing wrong with like little chains and stuff, but, but like when you really want that special meal and you really, really want something right, my favorite places are those ones that are super intentional, that you walk in and the decor it's perfect, the music is just right, the temperature, the smells in the air. You got all this, just everything is spot on, and everything is sending you to a moment. And that moment is when I put that steak mm, in my belly. You know what I'm talking about? It's like everything is pointed to that moment of enjoying that incredible meal. Everything, the wait staff, I mean, everybody's so nice and so kind, and the customer service is just through the roof, and I mean, the music, the temp, I mean, everything is just right. Listen, every single week, that is what this table is. So that whenever you expand the guest list and you get people to your table and you move them into a place of grace and they understand that, then you bring them into this place where as a family, we embrace them and they belong here and they're a part of this thing, and every week we serve up the bread of life fresh so that they can experience it. It's funny, anytime you go to that restaurant and you see the, the door to the kitchen open up, like everything's nice and pretty and music's great and food's great, and then the door to the kitchen gets open. You ever seen that? And there's like weeping and gnashing of teeth. Everybody's running and screaming, and it's like, you know, there's just this amazing chaos, and the door closes, and everything's perfect again, right? That's us six days out of the week. Our culinary staff, if you will, is running around the kitchen preparing for this. Our Kid City team, they're writing curriculum. Our music team is writing songs and rehearsing and getting ready. Our, everybody's running around here getting ready for your experience at the table. So that whenever you bring in your friend, your neighbor, your stranger, your person, you bring them into the table, man, they can belong here. Because everything is intentional. Everything is pointed to one thing, and that is the bread of life. Because we want people to experience and taste and see that he is good. Right? right. <clears throat> to go back to Luke 14. The servant came back to Jesus, the master, during the parable of the great banquet. 
And it says this, this is verse 22. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. There is still room. Look around the room right now, every room that you're sitting in at every campus. Look around the room. Mobile, look around the room. Foley, look around the room. Baymanette, look around the room. There is still room. There's still room. The table is not full. But Jesus wants everyone at the table. He wants everyone to experience the meal that you've experienced, the grace of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. That one of those first pictures that I showed you of that really long table. To me, whenever I think of the church, that's what I see. I see this table that is so long that whenever we fill this room, we'll just add another service time. We'll add another opportunity. We'll add another campus. We'll just continue to expand. Why? Because Jesus eats with anyone. Jesus wants to expand our guest list because he wants our community saved. He wants our community to know the hope of Jesus Christ. They experience it for themselves. Amen? Come on, are you with me? This is why we're here. This is why we are here, to reach out, to expand our guest list, to bring, to bring grace into our homes, to bring grace to our table so that true life change can happen. Whenever we sit at a table together, we've, we've talked about it this whole series, as a family, you sit at that table. There's community there. There's relationship there. And let me say one last thing because I think it's important to say that Jesus ate with anyone. Jesus ate with anyone, but he did life with his disciples. Jesus ate with anyone, but he did life with his disciples. He did life with the people that lived like him, the people that, that embraced the God in him, right? The God that, that, that he, they did life together. As us, this table, we do life together. This is who we do life with. This is the way that we do life. We, we lock arms and we serve our community at Merry Christmas Gulf Coast. We, we, we serve the correctional facilities. We lock arms in community and we, we start small groups. And we, we do all these amazing things. But the table, it says Jesus ate with anyone. The table was a place of harvest. The table was a place of expansion. The table was a place of bringing everyone into the love and acceptance of Jesus Christ. And for me, that's what I want to see our church become. That's what I want to see us be. I want to see us become people that will eat with anyone, that will love and accept anyone, that will bring anyone in to ultimately our home tables and then to this table to experience the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And I pray, God, for this challenge. I pray, God, that it settles on our hearts, that it settles in our minds, Lord, that, that it will not let us go. God, as we walk away today challenged, I pray, God, that, um, that nothing can rob it, nothing can steal it. God, that we see this, that we feel this, that we, that we wear this, God, and that this burden, this, this desire that I've just laid out, I pray that we all grab hold of it, Lord, and that we all walk into our communities and live differently, Lord, that we begin to see people differently, that we see people as humans, just like you do, God, that we see them as people not with their problems and their stuff and all the whatevers, God, that we actually see them as human beings that you love dearly. Lord, we love you so much, and I pray, God, that today that we would be challenged, God, to live differently, to live bigger than we've ever lived before, God. Give us, give us your heart, give us your destiny, give us your purpose, God, to be everything that you called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.